0: Welcome to the Business Clicks Podcast, the podcast that interviews business owners to discuss their struggles, strategies, and successes with using the power of the internet to grow their business. We discuss the transition from brick and mortar growth strategies to digital alternatives. We provide new and exciting tactics each business can use to be successful in this new digital world. I'm your host, Adam Barbro. And let's get stuck in. And welcome back to another episode of the Business Clicks Podcast. Today I want to talk to you about how success and particularly long-term success in your business starts with understanding the competition. This is going to be a sort of a bit of a process of walking you through how good positioning and good branding and marketing strategies are actually often developed with first understanding and, un- and taking advantage of how your competition has set up in the market. The modern day marketplace is as competitive as it has ever been as I spoke about previously in a previous episode about the evolution of marketing and mentioned how the advancement of technology has enabled more cost-effective methods for new companies to start entering the market. With this increase in competition, the number of markets, sub-markets and niches uh, you know, there's more than there's ever been before. People are niching down in these weird ways that you never thought, you know, 10 years ago wouldn't have thought that would ever be enough to have enough business, but there's enough, there's enough consumers out there and therefore there's enough ability to be able to separate yourself by niching down into these different areas and different submarkets. that, you know, you can do this and still be successful. You don't have to just be thinking about the bigger markets. As a result, I need to accurately assess that market can be the difference between success and failure. To be able to find these niches correctly and be able to find your submarkets correctly can very much be the difference between success and failure. But first, you need to really accurately assess the market. And how do we go about doing that? Well, in order to succeed, we must first find a group of people that are not having their needs met. I spoke about this previously, which is we endeavor to find a serve, uh, sorry, we endeavor to find a tribe that is not being served, compared to go out in there and try and just develop a product. We're not look at looking to develop our products because that's just thinking about what we wanna develop. We're looking to find a consumer who's not having their needs met and developing a product around that. So to do this, we must understand the competitive landscape and only then once we actually understand the competitive landscape and we understand the different layers of competition, then we can truly find white space or gaps in the market and bring an idea or concept to the market that is both good and different and will actually be you know, desired by different consumers out there because we've thought about you know, meeting their needs. I think failure to understand the market and find these gaps and find the unserved consumers out there means we are entering the market with the strategy of going head-to-head with already developed competitors. We're looking to create products and services and go up against other companies that have already had these products and services out in the market for a lot longer and have already got a good client base. That's a very difficult thing to do. This is like trying to swim upstream in a river. You know, why not instead... Look to find a group that is not currently having their needs met. And sure, you'll slap the door to work to get your company off the ground. But you know, swimming downstream with the current is a much easier endeavor than trying to swim upstream, which is basically the equivalent of just putting a product out there and going head-to-head with other competitors on the marketplace, which unfortunately is what most people do these days. You can see this everywhere. Stop and think about your main competitors and your products. Stop and think about all the electricians out there, the builders, the plumbers, the accountants, the lawyers. It's just constant repetition of me too products and services without any real thought about how to truly separate yourself and differentiate yourself and actually provide something that's good to people that's different from what everyone else is doing. Instead, everyone wants to just try and fit in. And that's the whole purpose of why we start off with understanding the competition. This is how we get successful. Because finding white space and differentiating yourself, you know, is, is often easier said than done. And that's because unfortunately for the human psyche, we're particularly bad at actually finding white space. We're wired to notice what's there, like what's in front of us, and not what's not there. I'll say that again, we are wired to notice the things that are there, and we're not we're not wired to really notice or understand the things that are not there. We're not able to find white space, which is why that term is used. Um, a psychologist called Daniel Kahneman actually came up with the term what you see is all there is. And Daniel Kahneman was actually a Nobel Prize, Nobel Prize winning psychologist and he described this um, cognitive phenomenon or bias that our brains are wired to focus only on the information that we have in front of us and not really able to and not very good at looking at what's not in front of us and actually using that we've become so used to the way things are and we get into like our routines and we're just used to, you know, we get fixated on the way things currently function, that we struggle to place an emphasis on what is missing, you know, what could be improved, and we become con- so conditioned to our environment that this becomes actually very difficult to do. And history is full of examples where small, seemingly obvious products and services actually created massive change in the marketplace, and when you look back at them, you go, oh, that's so that's so obvious, So oh, why didn't someone do that before, and it's for this exact reason. So assessing the competition correctly can actually provide us with this ability to find what's not there, and this will you know, able uh, enable us to find what's commonly referred to as white space or has also been referred to as a blue ocean in the book Blue Ocean Strategy, which I highly recommend. So it's finding these gaps in the market, and that's what we're actually trying to do here by understanding the competitive landscape first. So when you stop and think about this, it sounds obvious, right? Of course, you don't want to just recreate another and service that already exists or that's offered by many of your competitors by other companies out there. But look around. This is what we see, a plethora of Me Too products and services that are really most of the time only different in name only, only different in how you actually present that and service to market or only different by your business or trading name and how you actually yourself out there but the actual products and services don't differentiate much at all and no wonder so many companies fail because there's no reason why the consumer is necessarily going to choose you over one of the many competitors out there if your products aren't differentiated as Marty newmeyer says you cannot be a leader by following and this is a great this is basically you know explaining why he says this a brand strategist comes down and says You cannot stand out for yourself by just doing what others are doing and by just falling in with everyone else. You know, courageous companies are those that consciously choose to differentiate themselves and make decisions for long-term success rather than just thinking, hey, we need to get this company off the ground. We need these short-term gains right now. And the companies that actually look to have long-term success have actually been shown to perform better, according to a review written by the Harvard Business Review, who actually did a study and found those that actually look at creating good brands and long-term success have more financial success because of this, rather than those just looking to go for short wins constantly. So what does a company look like that has actually understood the competition and actually found white space? Well, you know, think of these companies like sticky notes, the post-it notes, you know, sticky notes weren't a thing, post-its weren't a thing, but someone came along and created them. And then, you know, they're now they're everywhere. People use them in every office around the world. Something seemingly obvious, but something that has, you know, took someone the ability to find what's not there rather than just looking at what's there and adding another product or service to that. You know, DVDs by mail, which is now streaming, was started by Netflix it put Blockbuster out of business. You know, these whole streaming services changed what was there and came up with something which is not there and were actually re- able to revolutionize the market. Touchscreen phones, you know, weren't a thing. BlackBerry dominated the phone market. iPhone came along with their touchscreen phones and changed things up. And BlackBerry refused to look at that as if, some, as if that was a you know viable option and said, no, people want to stick with what we're doing. They looked at what was there and what the market was like, and they didn't look at how to differentiate themselves and how to change things up. And BlackBerry is next to nothing these days, particularly when you compare them to a company like iPhone. You know, decentralized money—the whole crypto trend that's uh, that's happening with bitcoins—and even those com- even those countries that don't like cryptocurrencies are coming up with their own digital currencies using technology because they're they're not looking. Because what they're able to do here is they've come up with something that's, you know, not the way systems are currently run, but the way things should be run and what's not there. And technology has enabled this. Understanding the competitive landscape gives you the ability to really uncover this unmet need of the market that you can focus your company around. And this is the advantage for you. If you're looking to actually differentiate yourself, you're really looking to stand out and actually focus your company for a reason. And to compound it, to combat our own biases um, of only recognizing what's there rather than what's not there, we really must develop a framework that allows us to assess the competition accurately and actually uncover this white space. Otherwise, it's very difficult to do because, like I said, we're not very good at looking at what's not there. So the framework that I like to use, I'll try and walk you through this. It's very much a visual exercise that I do with people during workshops, but I'll try and best I can describe it and work you, th- talk you through it verbally. And that is to first understand the key players in our markets, sub-markets and niches. And once we have a clear picture of the competitive landscape in this way, we then are actually able to go through and assess the key players' strengths and weaknesses and then position ourselves in gaps based on how the market is actually looking. So to start off, think of your company as fitting into one of three categories, health, Wealth or relationships. And in my, in my opinion, every company that exists is basically exists into one of these three categories. You're either out there helping people with their health, you're helping them build wealth, or you're helping them with improving relationships. I've never met a business out there that I couldn't really put it into one of those three categories. So think of that as the most broad spectrum of companies out there and products and services fitting into one of those three categories, health, wealth, and relationships. After that, you're, after you've put yourself in that, you're able to really start assessing the markets and breaking it down into more narrow and niche positions. So next we must start breaking down the positions into layers, and each layer that you go in, think of concentric circles, the most outer circle is the three categories of health, wealth, and relationships, and think about as each layer of you go in into a new concentric circle within that circle is a new, another submarket and we keep going in like four or five layers until we really find our niche. And I can guarantee although it takes a bit of thinking, you can basically break your where you're how you're situated in the market down into that into the, in, in that way that you can go down about five layers in order to actually find what niche that you currently sit in. This really gives us a good picture and allows us to zoom out and see the whole picture of the broader market, as well as really zoom in and assess the details and key players of direct competitors they're up against in that way. So, like I said, we map this out by having concentric circles. This is how I want you to think of it. And, you know, the outermost circle is the three categories, the next most circle is a sub market inner next most inner circle is another submarket, another submarket, then we get all the way down to our niche and who our business is so let me find to provide some examples of what that really what that actually look like using these concentric circles going in and out so let's use an Italian restaurant as an example of how to actually use this framework and concentric circles so let's in this case start from the center and move out so you know, there are many restaurants out there and this restaurant distinguishes itself as an Italian restaurant. So that's the, really the first niche. That's the niche that it's a part of, Italian restaurants. And this is the way of actually really understanding your competitors out there in this sort of really narrow sort of field is, okay, Italian restaurant is layer two. Um, Italian restaurants pr- pr- primarily are out there to provide a dinner option. So providing dinner is obviously catering for all restaurants now is probably layer three dinner is just one of many, you know, food options that we have. You know, we have breakfast, you can go out for brunch, you can go out for lunch, you can go out for drinks. So dinner is just a f- another option. And it's just another food option, I should say. So food would be the next layer out there. And this isn't a sub market of how we could look at all the competitors out there that are out there providing food to people. So the Food is the layer four out there. So they enable people to really do something different from rather having to cook themselves and have an experience by having an outing. You know, when you go out to have food, you're really looking to go out and do something. You can get food in many ways, but actually going out to a restaurant or something or going out somewhere is about having an outing. So that'd be a more broad look at what an Italian restaurant does. It provides people with the opportunity to go out and have some outing. And if we then go to the last circle and saying, okay, well, lastly, a restaurant is really positioned to provide a service that helps people build relationships by literally helping them break bread with their friends and family, etc. So it's a it's 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 a tool that we use to help improve relationships. It's not can be could be associated with wealth depending on the type of um, sorry health depending on the type of. Uh, type of restaurant you're sort of doing but in this case you know they're really about there trying to help people with the relationships and that's what we've reached the outermost circle so you know breaking up the this sounds really complex but it's much more easier when you see it visually which is you know an Italian restaurant is an Italian restaurant. That's its very niche that it's in. It's out there to provide a dinner option to people. That's the next sub-market, a broader market that we can start looking at all the other dinner options and all our competitors in that field. We make that a little bit more broad. Again, we think about the food options out there, not just competing with other people providing dinner options, but they're providing, like I said, breakfast, brunch, etc., we then go out more broad again and what they're doing is offering experience to go for an outing. So people go to restaurants, they go to drinks, they go to the movies, they go to the park. These are all different outing experiences and then if you're looking at compet- competitors at that sort of broad level, that's where you can start sort of getting an idea of other competitors that are out there and then finally relationships. They're out there to build relationships. So let me give you some other examples to try and help this you know, really sink in as being clear. This is much easier to do when you've actually, when you can actually see these diagram and how to actually work through it. And I recommend you hopped on my, my LinkedIn, just search for Adam Barbro and you can look up the business clicks, uh, weekly newsletter, and you can actually see a picture of this diagram and this article out there, which will help you walk through it. So another example would be, you know, let's think CrossFit gyms. CrossFit gym is obviously part of the you know crossfit niche of of exercises out there but they also fit into the a broader category of gyms so that's the next layer out they fit in with the gyms category they also fit in with the functional fitness category there's not just gyms out there doing functional fitness there's many different types of activities that promote this so you know triathlons etc they're now competing against them in a functional fitness style category they obviously fit into the the another broader category of offering some sort of exercise program exercising in general and that obviously fits into the one of those three categories of health so a crossfit gym that's how you can sort of start looking at the competitors in, in the innermost circle you have your crossfit gym and the crossfit niche you go out to other gyms you go out to other fun- functional fitness um, type of competition out there you go then go out to other exercise programs that are generally out there you know Difference between functional fitness and exercise can obviously be things like, you know, weightlifting and all those other sort of activities. It could be sailing, could be rock climbing, could be anything. It's a lot more broad. And then obviously they fit into one of those three categories of, you know, a CrossFit gym is obviously there to provide people with health benefits. So let's do this again. Maybe let's do an accountant, for example. So maybe you have a niche and you're an accountant that really specializes as. Uh, high income family tax accountants. That's that's your niche. That's a very broad niche. And that, to be honest, is some. That's that's quite a good niche for, compared to most accountants out there that are very broad and just saying, "Hey, we're we're a tax accountant." Hey, we're account we're an accountant. So you niche down. You know, this company's done very good and said, "Hey, we're a high income family tax accountant." Obviously, then they then fit into the you know family accountant type sub market. Sub-market. So going out a level, they're at, part of your family accountants, going another level, they're obviously offering tax services, they're part of a broader tax accountant. So now we don't, not only talking about family tax accountants, but business tax accountants, you know, all these other levels and complexities when it comes to tax accountants, the tax accountants then go out to another broader level again of competition of just an accountant a broad accountant general looking at all the different accountants out in the competitive landscape. You can then make that another broad service and say, hey, accountant is just another financial service out there. It's a way of offering financial advice, et cetera. So an accountant fits into a broader service, a broader category of financial services. And then this, of course, then goes into the final layer of the three categories and is there as offering a service to improve someone's wealth. So, to go from outwards inwards, you know, we're looking, at help, we're looking at building wealth, we're looking at the different financial services, we're looking at the different accountants, we're looking at the different tax accountants, this is getting more narrow and more focused. We're looking at the different accountants that f- focus on families. And then finally you go into your niche and you find the, f- the high income family tax accountants that are really only focused on those maybe earning more than a million dollars a year. And there you go, that's how you break down that one business into broader and more focused levels. Okay, so that's three examples, I hope that helps. Like I said, it's much easier to see visually and that's how I, why we usually do this in workshops. But let me now sort of help you with what you do next. So once we really understand the markets in this way and we've thought about all our different categories and layers from you know obviously very broad into health, wealth, and relationships all the way down to your niche. You know, and we understand each layer then we're going to actually go through and list a couple of direct and indirect competitors. Direct competitors obviously being a company selling the same product or service as you and indirect competitors being a company that sells a different product or service but to the same target audience. Okay, so we're going to go through and find for each of these different layers, so all the way out in health, wealth, and relationships, all the way down to your niche. For example, like I mentioned there, a CrossFit GM, a high-income tax accountant, etc., We're going to go through and and find, you know, or list a number of competitors. Once the list has been compiled, I then want you to go through and narrow it down to five to 10 key players. So look at all those competitors. So list, you know, a couple in each layer, all the way down to your niche, all the way out to your market, and then select, you know, five, probably around five key players that we can actually assess in more detail. Once we have those five key players, we want to know what actually makes those key players those companies good at what they do and what makes them different from any everyone else so this is actually doing a bit of an assessment on each of these competitors and really looking at what makes them good and what makes them different and we do this by using relevant criteria that rates them out of 10 for example some criteria options you could be that you could use would be um, you know cost how's their cost based on what they're charging people out of 10. Are they very expensive? Are they right up there at 10? They're the most expensive on the market or are they cheapest on the market? Are they number one? So that's a way of starting to assess how they're actually positioned and looking at your competition. Then look at maybe other criteria. could be variety. How unique their product and service is you know, et cetera, et cetera. I want you to come up with these these yourself. I think I have some that I like to use, but I'd like you to come up with some that are relevant for you. Completing this assessment will provide you with an understanding of your competitor's strengths and weaknesses. And then by doing this, we're actually able to determine what your focus should be. So let's look at what we've done. We've compiled a list of competitors from all the way down in our niche in the different sub-markets to all the way in the broader competitive landscape. And now we've actually assessed what actually makes them good and what actually makes them different. So now we're actually able to see, well, hey, are they, you know, based on X criteria, are they actually different from everyone else? You know, maybe, maybe this one company actually stands out as being different. How are they different? Let's look at that. Once we have this complete picture of the competitive landscape, you know, this enables us to basically assess where the gaps are in the market. You know, otherwise that we would be very hard to find just by looking at the market and say, there's, oh. They're obviously not serving these people. That's a very difficult thing to do. But by looking at all of this, we're able to say, hey, there's a real gap in expensive products of this type, you know, in, in our niche. That's where we can actually benefit here. So this is the this is the purpose of this. And that, you know, these gaps are basically the potential areas of your focus for your company. This is where you should be focusing on, on something that's still good, but it's different from what everyone else is doing. Determining your focus is so extremely important particularly if you're interested in actually having a long-term successful company. And I'm sure you've heard um, before that, you know, if you try and be everything to everyone, then you'll be nothing to no one. And this is why we really look to focus based on finding gaps using this framework. There's actually a a law out there called the law of focus, and it's a marketing concept about owning a word in the prospect's mind. So why do we want to own a word, which is really like a category or niche, because by owning a category, we associate, sh- uh, I'll say that again, by owning a category, we actually associate the relevant products or services of that category with our brand. So when our brand is actually associated with a category, we stand a chance of actually being a category leader because when people think of, hey, I need this, they think of our brand because we've made that association in, in, in the customer's mind. For example, think of touch phones. And 90% of people out there are going to think of the iPhone. When you think of cola drinks, you're going to think of Coke. When you're going to think of high-intensity functional workouts, you're going to think of CrossFit. So these companies all own, the, all own this word, all own this category in the mind of the consumer. And, you know, this should be your goal as well if you like the idea of having a successful business. The smaller our company is, the more niche category we must try and own. So bigger, com- bigger companies, obviously like Apple, can think, you know, modern-day touch phones, that's the category they're playing. They're playing big, they're playing broad, and they're out there to win. If we're a smaller business, we need to niche down more. We need to f- really nail our focus and be much more um, particular about what, we- what category we're going to own. So, you know, if I'm talking about a photographer out there, rather than just being another photographer out there, you know, they might niche down into wedding photography. Okay, rather than just being another wedding photographer out there, you might want to niche down a bit more. Maybe you want to pick your city and really make sure that you're positioned as being the best photographer, wedding photographer in that city. And then you might want to differentiate yourself by more by offering, changing and actually differentiating your product in some way. And that's how you need to, as a small business, really niche down more than you would, uh, than you would compare to a big business. In the book, um, Positioning, by Al Ries, which I highly recommend, he says, You need courage. When you trace the history of how leadership positions were established, from Hershey in chocolate to Hertz in renter cars, the common thread is not actually marketing skill or even product innovation. The common thread is seizing the initiative before the competitor has a chance to be established. So what he's saying there is the People that actually went out and dominated and owned one of those big categories were actually those that took the advantage to find the gap in the market and placed themselves, positioned themselves there, and made sure that they used the law of focus to make sure that when people thought of their brand, they thought of this position in the market and they associated the two. Once the association has been made, it's very difficult for someone else to come in and try and break that association because people have already, you know made that connection in their mind. Marty Neumeier, who I love referencing in these type of um, branding articles because he's such a thought leader, uses the concept of an onlyness statement to test how focused and differentiated your actually brand and business and products and services are. He says that if you cannot complete a sentence, um, our brand is the only blank, the blank. So in the first category, you put the category in the second blank you put the um you describe your difference so for example our brand is the only touch phone that does you know whatever your whatever your touch phone does differently if you can't do that if you're unable to really showcase how you're differentiated in in that way um then you should really sort of stop with your product and really start from scratch you need to be really remembering to you know prioritize the unserved tribe rather than just prioritizing the product itself in order to actually find a way of being different. Now, when we've done this, we've assessed the competition, we've found our gaps, we've found an area that we can actually focus on. We've looked at how we can, you know, not only be a good product, but we can be differentiated out. So people actually view us in a different way. And we've created this association between our position in the market and our products and services. You know, we're starting on our way to actually create good positioning. And great positioning has more than just long-term financial benefits. Courageous positioning actually creates a company that leverages and multiplies its strengths to better serve consumers. So correct positioning allows you to be more focused with your work. As a result, you gain more experience in this particular field. You've found your niche, you've basically positioned yourself in that niche, and therefore you're starting to get more experience in this niche. And You know, this obviously experience comes in the form of selling products and services through paying customers and clients. But the great thing here is that when you get more of this experience, you know, this experience comes with an increased aptitude, which makes your company able to develop more of an expertise in this niche. So not only if you take in a strong position, which has enabled you to stand out and actually get more customers, they're looking for someone who's. Actually wanting to do specifically that now because you're getting more of that specific work you've gone from just another company looking for that type of work to an actual expert in that field and as a result you become less interchangeable to your competitors when you become an expert in that niche when you've actually you know not only positioned yourself there but have got enough experience to say hey i am the expert in doing this all of a sudden the competitors that are trying to move in and try and do the same thing they can't because you've become the expert in the field based on all your experience so you know to avoid being drawn into comparisons with your competitors and you know having to fight them on price we must take this courageous approach and position ourselves well To do this, we must first, you know, not just understand our market, but also really understand the sub-markets and niches so we can really know where we can position ourselves and find these gaps. And it is through, you know, really understanding this competitive landscape. So we find the white space, we develop um, clarity in how to best serve consumers, and we develop clarity on what products will actually bring them the most value. And this not only brings financial benefits, but also assists us with gaining more experience in a specific area. And the more experience um, we have, the more expertise we develop, making our company less interchangeable with competitors and giving us a massive advantage. Less competition means more work, means the ability to charge more. And, you know, for people that haven't done this yet, my question is, why why haven't you started to understand your competitors better? Because this is really what you're missing out on. So that's it for today. I know it was a bit of a roller coaster ride, but it really is, like I said at the start, success starts with understanding your competition. And it's not necessarily understanding your competition because you need to make sure any move they make, you make a counter move. I'm not necessarily talking about that, but it's about understanding your competitive landscape all the way up to really broad, to really niche, so you can look for gaps in the market and actually differentiate yourself by assessing the competitors. And once we do this, you know, our business has a much better chance of really being in a great position for long-term success. So that's all for today. I hope you're actually able to go through the task. If you're not, like I said, hop on LinkedIn, go to Adam Barbro, look up the Business Clicks article and you can um, find Success Starts with the Competition and actually look at the diagram showing you how to use that competitive uh, framework. Thanks again and I look forward to talking to you in the next episode. I'm your host, Adam Barbro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Business Clicks Podcast.